I give you my word. Has anyone ever said that to you? I, I give you my word. It's often accompanied by a handshake. It's like saying, I promise. Years ago, they would have said, I give you my oath. In the original Anglican wedding ceremony, and thereto, I pledge you my troth. Okay? I give you my word. Has anyone ever said that to you? I give you my word. Next question. Has anyone ever blown it? <laughs> a few times. In fact, this happens so often that I should almost ask it this way. Has anyone ever kept their word even when it cost them? Because we seem to have this tacit agreement in culture that we'll keep our word to the point of pain, but not past it. Has that ever happened to you? And people like say it as if it's no big deal. Like I know I gave you my word, but it's as if there's this understanding that you wouldn't expect them to keep their word if it cost them. That'd be unreasonable. The point of giving your word is you're anticipating that it's going to cost you, which is why you need to take it to the level of oath. I promise. I promise. People almost never keep their word to the point of cost. And if that's been your experience, you know that it makes life difficult, right? Because you feel like you can't trust anyone. But uh, since we're not about to lay down and die over that realization, I can't trust anyone. I guess I might as well quit. Okay, we're not about to do that. We are Canadians after all. We came to church in minus 22 weather and we liked it. <laughs> Amen. It is a beautiful day out there. I'm a summer guy, but it is a beautiful day. Since we're not about to lay down and die just because life is hard, this leads to the next question. Well, in light of the fact that most people don't keep their word, which makes me feel like I can't trust anyone, how then can I build a successful life in the midst of this difficult one I seem to be stuck in? Can I build a successful life in the midst of this difficult one where nobody keeps their word? That's the question. And fortunately for you, and for me, but I already preached it so I know what's coming, Genesis 26 has some answers. Have a listen. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. This sounds familiar. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, you guessed it, uh, she's my sister. For he feared to say, quote, my wife, thinking, quote, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. That must have been one beautiful woman. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. 
So Abimelech called Isaac and said to him, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. That also sounds familiar. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a spring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the place Esek, which means pain in the neck. We still use it in modern Hebrew to this day. Esek, what a pain in the neck. He called the place pain in the neck because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one, so he called his name Sitna, hatred. I hate these guys. I'm going to name the well. I hate these guys. And they moved on from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehovot, roads, highways, streets, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Fichol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing but good. To you and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Be'eri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 26, man, I thank the Lord that I've come to this day to be able to preach this text to you. Here in Genesis 26, we see a picture of what a difficult, successful life looks like. And we see how to navigate it. Okay? We see a picture of a difficult, successful life and how to navigate it. And as usual, walking with the Lord is the key. So keep walking with Him because His oaths endure. And you can build your difficult, successful life on that word. It's your thesis right there. Let me show you what I mean from the text. Verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land 
besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. This is very deep, very, very deep. Famines are bad. You're like, yes, it is. For sure, you laughed at me in the first service too. You're like, I love it. Right? Famines are bad. Right? But what's worse than a famine? Two famines. Two famines is worse than one. Famine is bad. Two famines is worse than one. Bad things happen. I told you it was deep. What's the point? Never think to yourself, whoo, we're out of the woods. Phew, we made it. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to us again. If you allow yourself to think that way, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. The point is that life is not just hard, life is routinely hard. It's routinely difficult, but God shows up. Verses 2 through 6, beautiful. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 6, so Isaac stayed in let me hit a few points from this real quick. Verse 2, God shows up, God speaks, God directs. Three things are happening here. Revelation, relationship, and requirements. Revelation, God appears to Isaac. He reveals himself. Relationship, God speaks with Isaac as he does to a friend. This is a habit the Lord God began with Isaac's father, Abraham. He spoke to him as a man speaks to his friend. He does the same thing later on in Bible history with Moses, the great servant of God. God shows up. He reveals himself. He acts in relationship as he speaks to Isaac as he does to a friend. And then he gives him some requirements. He requires that Isaac do one thing, stay here in Gerar, and not the other. Don't go down to Egypt. If you remember the story of Abraham, his father, he did end up going down to Egypt to survive the first famine. Revelation, relationship, requirements. If you want to build a difficult and successful life, remember those three R's in how you interact with God. Look for revelation in your day-to-day life. I don't know if this is a deeply embedded habit in your life. If it's not, this is an opportunity to grow. You can wake up tomorrow, and the first thought in your heart can be, Lord, reveal yourself to me today. And then throughout the day, you can continue in that meditative space, watching for him to show up in the mundanity of your daily life, lifting that mundanity up to the level of the glorious. But if you're not watching for it, you can miss it. Watch for revelation. Build your relationship with God. I heard a very startling statistic this week. Startling on the one hand, not surprising on the other. It was looking, the research was, at growing churches in North America. And not surprisingly, it said that 71% of the pastors in growing churches read their Bible every day. And I thought to myself, duh. Like, of course. Right? Very hard to preach well when your well is dry. Very hard. Very hard to lead well when you don't know the God of the Bible for yourself. 
So 71% of preachers, pastors, and growing churches read their Bible every day. Only 19% of preacher pastors in shrinking churches read theirs every day. I thought to myself, of course. Well, how about you? How about you? Are you getting to know the Lord? One of the ways in which we get to know the Lord, and this is not a religious duty, this is a spiritual opportunity. We get to know the Lord as we see him writ in the pages of the Bible, as we get to know the story of God and his people. That's what the Bible is. It's the story of God and his people pointing in its culmination to the Christ. You can build your relationship. Are you doing it? Are you building your relationship? Look for revelation. Build your relationship and then do what he requires. That can be hard. Are you sometimes afraid that God will speak to you? I sometimes am scared. In fact, so <laughs> I have been known to abstain from praying for a while because I already know the answer. And so I'm like, I need a minute because I know the second I pray it, God's going to speak it and then I have to obey it. And I really don't want to. Revelation. Relationship. Requirement. And of course, remember that you're not alone, and this does not depend on you. Verses 3 and 4 testify to this. Sojourn in this land, here it is, and I will be with you and will bless you. And to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice. Verse 3, sojourn in this land. Stay here and I will be with you. That's what everyone wants to hear, right? Like if God really exists... So even if you're here this morning and you're still not sure about God, it's okay. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to church. Just keep coming. It'll eventually make sense to you. But even if you're not there yet, just for a moment, humor me and imagine that God really exists and that he's really promised to be with you. That'd be about the best and only thing you'd ever need to hear. I will build my life upon your love. It is my firm foundation. Well, I can shout right here, but I won't. I will be with you, and I will bless you. God with us, the one who blesses. Bless. To hallow, consecrate, to invoke divine care, to speak well of, approve, to confer prosperity or happiness upon, to protect, preserve, to endow, favor, bless. You want to build a difficult, successful life? Count on God's blessing and don't try to do it yourself. Just be obedient. Because, verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac did what dad did. He stayed in Gerar. Abraham was obedient. Isaac copied his righteous father. Dad did what God said. So will I. Mom did what God said. So will I. 
So if you have kids, you have a mighty responsibility to model a life of friendship with God. Because your kids will copy what they see. Abraham was obedient, so was Isaac. You know, life is really not as complicated as we all think. Here's the ultimate life hack to help you build your difficult, successful life. You ready? Again, it's very deep, I'm sorry. It's the best I can do. Do what he says. <laughs> just, just do what he says. You're like, that's, that's too simple. Right, which is why you never do it. Okay, maybe not never, but definitely not always. Am I right? Just do what he says. What's interesting is that even when we do what he says, we do it incompletely. Am I right? Hey, don't get down on yourself. I'm guilty too. I have never once completely obeyed the Lord. Never once. Why? Because I'm broken. I'm a sinner born into sin because of the sin of my first parents, Adam and Eve. Yes, my sin has been paid for by Jesus at the cross. So I no longer have to be a slave to sin, but that sin impulse still dwells in my body. It dwelt even in the Apostle Paul's body, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. The things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. Go figure. All right, so no more feeling bad. Nobody obeys the Lord completely, which is why God sent his son, because his son was the only one who could obey the Father completely. We see this incompleteness in the next section of the text. Let me paraphrase for you what happens in verses 6 through 12. So Isaac stays in Gerar. He's like, all right, oh Lord, I'm going to obey you. Good, good job. This is a gold star check. But then he lies about his wife. <sighs> Isaac the patriarch is a liar. Isaac the patriarch is a liar. And a coward. And... Well, I don't know. Not exactly the kind of husband who instills confidence in his wife. <laughs> then he gets caught pleasuring her. And don't get nervous. My kids are here too. The English translators are so British. <laughs> if you're preaching this in Portugal or Spain or Israel or Turkey or Africa or South America, they would just tell you what it means. He's pleasuring her in Hebrew. He's pleasuring his wife. It's like, why can't we be honest about this in the North American church? Puritans, man. Ooh, God help me. And that's my heritage, so it's my fault. It lands him in hot water with Abimelech. Abimelech is like standing in the castle one day, looks out the window, is like, oh! I, I, dang! I, somebody get him to come see me. <laughs> Awesome. What are you doing, Isaac? One of my men could have slept with your wife and then you would have brought guilt on all of us. Interesting as well that the Philistines weren't God's people and yet they still knew that to sleep with another man's wife was evil. Okay, I said it last week. Here it is again. It'll in fact come up next week. It happens a lot with the patriarchs because they're kind of like us, which is why we preach about them for you. If you want to build a difficult, successful life, do not overmanage it. 
What Isaac's doing is overmanaging his life. Do not overmanage your life. Instead, tell the truth and do the right thing moment by moment. Put it this way. Cultivate humble goodness. How about that this week? Cultivate humble goodness. Speaking of cultivate, you could also, while you're at it, count on God's blessing while doing work, which is what happens in verses 12 through 14. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. This was not a point I wrote, but it came up strongly in first service, and here it is again. So I didn't write this into my text, but I find it interesting that Isaac here becomes a farmer. His father was a nomadic herdsman. So Isaac here is doing something new. So that bad thing that happened to him, that famine that caused him to leave where he was dwelling, to go to somewhere strange, put him in a situation where he could do something new. He sowed in that year. Isaac sowed. You want to build a difficult, successful life, do the work. Notice that Isaac sowed. He did the work. Sometimes you've got to do the work. <laughs> my shoulders are sore from the gym yesterday. I was worshiping Jesus, and I was like, I need to take my hands down. <laughs> I did too much work. Okay? You should be a little spiritually sore this week. I'm doing the hard work of godliness. Do the work. Let God do the rest. And he reaped, verse 12, in the same year a hundredfold. Why? The Lord blessed him. You want to build a difficult, successful life, you do the grunt work and leave the spectacular results to God. A friend of mine puts it this way. He says, <clears throat> you do the woman's size and let God do the God size. You do the man's size and let God do the God size. Deal? He's like, cool, I can do that. Good. You do what you can do, and let God do what only He can do. You want to build a difficult, successful life, you do the grunt work, leave the spectacular results to Him. If you do this, pro tip, one, <clears throat> you'll enjoy yourself more. Life is more fun when God is in charge? Just saying. Just, just say, I know this to be true. I know you don't believe it if you're 24. Trust me. Trust me. Okay, life is more fun when God is in charge. So if you do this, you'll enjoy yourself more. And you'll sleep better at night. And everyone's 60 plus said. Ooh. That's right. It's dead right. You'll sleep good at night until people get jealous and start trying to destroy you. <coughs> Which is what happens in verses 14 through 22. I'll just paraphrase him here for the sake of time. So what happens? <sighs> Isaac begins digging again the wells that his father Abraham had dug because he figures out that the Philistines had filled them in with earth. So now they're leaving Gerar, okay, a settlement where there's a water source. That's why you would settle. There's a water source, we're going to settle there. So he has to leave the water source. He has his clan with him, which is hundreds of people. And so you can bet he sent some of his young men forward. He's like, I remember there's a well that my father named so-and-so. It's just up over that rise there. See those two olive trees? You just go up and then turn right. You see a big boulder? It's behind the boulder. So go and check it out, and then come on back and let us know, and we'll encamp there tonight. 
So he's bringing the clan up. The young men run back. They're like, Lord, the well's been filled in. It's a big deal, right? He's got hundreds of people depending on that water source. So he goes and starts digging again the wells that his father had dug. If you're going to build a difficult, successful life, you'd expect conflict and setbacks. What happens once he begins redigging these wells? The men from Gerag, Abimelech's servants, show up and they're like, that water belongs to us, get lost. Isaac doesn't want to go to war, he moves on, he's like, okay. Again they do it, dig another well. Again, the servants of Abimelech show up, they're like, this water is ours, get lost. Let's find some patterns here to help us learn how to build a difficult, successful life that accepts conflict and setbacks. The Philistines, in verse 14, envied him. Okay, is there envy anywhere else in the biblical story? Because if it just happened once, I wouldn't preach it to you as like a teachable for you to build your life on, but it's more than once. Cain and Abel. Cain's envious of Abel, kills him. Joseph and his brothers, they're envious of the way in which his father has favored him. They sell him into slavery in Egypt. The Hebrews, freed from slavery in Egypt hundreds of years later, envious of their Egyptian peers whom they imagine feasting on melon and as much water as you could ask for as they're struggling in the desert of Sinai. King Saul, the first king of Israel, envious of young David and the way in which God's presence was so clearly with him. David, years later as the king, envious of Uriah, husband of Bathsheba, so he sends him to be killed so he can take his wife. Envy is a part of life, so don't fall into despair when its ugliness shows up in your life. Does that help you, maybe? Just be ready for it. It's going to happen. Envy is part of life. Accept it, but do not let it drive you to despair. They'd filled with earth all the wells that Abraham had dug. Imagine him coming to that well and finding it closed up and thinking, all this work for nothing. You ever felt that way? I did all this work and it came to nothing. I could testify. The injustice. Are there any patterns of injustice in the Bible? Joseph, again, sold as a slave by his brothers. He didn't deserve it. Yeah, he's cocky. Maybe he shouldn't have shared his dreams with them like he did. He's a young fool. We were all young fools once. Some of us are still outgrowing that phase. It happens. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. She's coming on to him. She wants a little quality time. He's like, no, girl. Rebuffs her. She's mad about it. Goes to her husband says, he slept with me. And even though he didn't, Potiphar cast him into jail. Imagine his first night in jail. The injustice, all of my righteousness came to nothing. Moses and God's idiot people. He's up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. God's dictating the law on tablets of stone. Moses takes those tablets. He's walking down the mountain. His face is shining like heaven itself. He can hear revelry from below him, and he thinks, oh, no. He comes over the rise, and he sees the camp of the Israelites acting the fool, worshiping a false god. Takes the tablets, throws them to the ground. All this work for nothing. Joshua and the armies of God's people, after conquering Jericho, God gives them very specific instructions. Don't take this, don't take that. You can take this and that, but not this. All kinds of rules about what spoil they could take and what spoil they must not touch. But one Israelite, his name was Achan, kept some of the forbidden spoil, hid it in his tent. Joshua doesn't know. 
So it's like, wicked. We conquer Jericho. What's the next city? The city of Ai is the next city. Great, let's go take Ai. They go and attack Ai, and not once, but twice. The people of Ai rebuff them, and many Israelite men are killed. And Joshua's like, Lord, have you so soon abandoned us? And God was like, no, nah, it's not my fault. It's your fault, bunch of disobedient fools. All these men dying for nothing. Sometimes we do everything right, and we still lose. Okay, if that's you, this word is for you today. What do you do if you do everything right and you still lose? If you want to build a difficult, successful life, what do you do in that moment? You redig the wells. Okay, you're tired, I know. You already did the work once, I know. It wasn't your fault that the work came to nothing, I know. Don't give up. <clears throat> redig them. Do the work again. Redig the wells. Verse 18, and Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father. Life gets hard, dig it again. Life gets hard, dig it again. This will help you young parents with your babies who won't stop pooping for like a while. You laugh about it until you experience it. Then you know there's no laughing matter. I had those moments where I was like, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. I cannot do it anymore. So the next time you find yourself in a moment where you just can't do it anymore, hear the words of Genesis 26 echoing in your heart and mind. Rechange that diaper, baby. Rechange it. Rechange the diaper. Retell your wife that you love her one more time. Tell her one more time. Redig the wells. And look, if people fight you, as will happen, Happens to Isaac in verses 19 through 21. Keep moving until they quit. Digs a well, he can't have it. He moves. Digs another well, can't have that one. He moves again. People want to fight. Keep moving until they quit. You can't stop a loser from acting like a loser, but you can out-hustle him. That'll preach good. That'll preach good. You can out-hustle that woman. That woman at work who's being mean to you for no reason. Out-hustle her. Out-hustle her. Isaac kept moving farther and farther away till Abimelech's men got tired of chasing him. You want to build a difficult, successful life? Get on God's highway. Literally the meaning of Rehovot in verse 22. The roads of God. The highways of God. Get on God's highway and run till the Lord makes room for you. Rehovot. When you find your sweet spot with the Lord, like Isaac did at Be'er Sheva in verses 23 through 26, stay in that space. Like, God's here? I guess I'm going to stay here. This happened this morning. We had a lady come to church for the first time this morning. Sat over there, not a Christian, middle-aged. She's looking to kind of experience all religions and kind of figure this whole thing out. So she's been going to all different places of worship in Guelph. And she came here today and she was like, actually it was her second time today. She's like, I don't know what this is, but I love it. <laughs> it wasn't me who talked to her. Someone who talked to her came and told me after the service to encourage me so I could encourage you. The Lord is in this place. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here then. I'm going to stay right here. You want to build a difficult, successful life? Once you discover a rhythm of godliness that works for you, never break form. Okay, look, when it comes to relating to God, boring is better. He's more than exciting enough for the both of you. 
Boring is better. Just do what you always do. Let him do what he always does. And when your enemies come to make peace, make peace. Why? Well, because we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Verses 28 and 29b. In my original notes in the scriptures and my notes here in my text, I have one word written. It's all written. It's bold. All caps with an exclamation mark. What does it say? Can you read it? Rama! All the charismatics said, Oh! If you've been there, you know what that means. Rama! What is a rama word? A rama word is when the word of God jumps off the page and bites you in the butt. <laughs> That's for you, dummy. Pay attention. And so when I read that, I was like, Rama! <clears throat> That's for me? That's for you. It's for somebody here this morning. Okay? You are now the blessed of the Lord. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So, revise your expectations upward. As my father would say, get a bigger vision. You want to build a difficult, successful life? Make peace with others because the Lord has made peace with you. And worship team, you can join me. When they come to make peace because they recognize the hand of God in your life, make peace with them. You may not want to, but you have to. Why? Because God has made peace with you through the cross of Christ. You, who are a lawbreaker. Me, who is a lawbreaker. Guilty of offending God's holiness. Not just once, but over and over and over again in our unrelenting sinfulness. We are guilty of God's wrath. And we are the ones for whom God sent His Son. So that Jesus Christ, the God-man, could go to the cross, so that as He hung there, He, not you, could bear the penalty, the weight, the punishment for your sin and mine. And not just for your sin and mine, but for the sin of the world. Jesus came to deal with your sin problem. And so the death that you should die because of your sinfulness, the death that I should die because of my sinfulness, has been laid upon Jesus Christ, and He suffered and died once for all for the sins of the world. But because he was the God-man, he didn't stay dead. That first Easter Sunday morning, he what? He rose again in glory, in victory, triumphing over the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. And then he did what? Ascended to his father's right hand after hanging out with his friends for 40 days or so. Sat down at his father's right hand where even now he's interceding for you. He's cheering for you because he loves you. He's going to come back from there someday to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end. A kingdom in which you belong. That's your home. That's where you're from. That's your destiny. That is the great promise that lies at the heart of your hope in Jesus. That promise is the thing that drives you to do all the stuff I've been talking about. Not because you're good, but because Jesus is good. Not because you got it all figured out, because Jesus does. Not because you have all the answers, but because Jesus is the answer. And he has everything you need. For life and godliness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. That's what's coming for you, so be encouraged. Live with fervor, live with hope, live with purpose, live with passion. Get out there tomorrow with a smile on your face. Take territory in God's name and be kind to everyone you meet because chances are they have not yet met Jesus and so they are living without hope, which is why they're so mean all the time. It's not even really their fault. 
So be nice and be the love of Christ extended to them. And in the meantime, while you're waiting for Jesus to come back and set all things right, throw a feast once in a while, like Isaac does in verse 30. If you haven't thrown a feast in a while, throw a feast soon and invite me. I like chocolate cake, apple pie, and steak. Please, no chia seeds or tofu. But more importantly than me, invite your neighbors, invite your friends, invite your coworkers, invite people who have no reason for you to expect them, no reason for them to expect you to love them. Throw a feast once in a while. Um, make your promises, like Isaac does in verse 31, and keep them, the concept. And when you um, get good news, like Isaac got, we found water! Woo, we found water, verse 32. When you get good news, most important point right here, call it what it is. What does he call it? He calls it Sheba. What is Sheba? Sheba is the Hebrew word for oath. Oath. Be'er Sheba. Be'er Sheva. The well of God's oath. A sign of God keeping his word from verse 3, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Church, God keeps his word. God keeps his word. You can not only count on that, you can build your difficult, successful life on it, even if your uh, daughter-in-laws are a pain in the neck. 